my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Mark Moss Show, where we're always talking about the decentralized revolution, giving you the play-by-play of how this world is changing in a world of insanity, bringing context, giving you the play-by-play so you can understand and see what's happening. Most importantly, so you know what direction we're going in. Of course, we like to look at the world through the lenses of politics, finance, and technology together. It's the technology that changed the world more than anything. And of course, that technology has changed the world is Bitcoin and the decentralized technology, but it's changing the world of finance and the world of politics. And so when we look at the look at the world through those lenses, it all starts to make sense. And some of the biggest news headlines that broke this week that really demonstrate where things are going couldn't be any better for what we're talking about. We're going to look at the U.S. credit rating and how it just got downgraded. We're going to talk about what the SEC, the Securities Exchange Commission, secretly told some crypto exchanges. We're going to talk about the a big, big, big deal that happened in the United States, the first time we've seen it in like uh, something like a decade, and more news around the world. So let's go ahead and just jump right into that. You know, one of the big pieces this week was the U.S. credit rating got downgraded. Now, I hate to say I told you so, but I told you so. (laughs) What do I mean by that? You know, um, I covered the debt ceiling debate extensively. We talked about it. I made videos on my main YouTube channel, which by the way, if you're not following me on YouTube, you should check it out. I make videos with charts and graphs and and very illustrative so you could see it and kind of understand it better. So check it out, Mark Moss on YouTube. Uh, But I covered here on the radio, the podcast, I covered on YouTube as well and talked about, you know, what, what the fight was about, what the debate was about, you know, the pros and cons if they do that. But what I said is that regardless if a deal got re, you know, got, got agreed on or not, it was going to cause damage. I referenced when we got this close to a debt ceiling standoff, debate standoff in the past and what happened 
after those in 2011, 2013. And I showed how after we got very close to a uh, default, but then it got saved at the last minute, the United States credit rating got downgraded. All right. Well, history doesn't repeat. It rhymes. Well, in this case, it repeated. And here we are. We had another debate go down to the last minute, and we just witnessed another downgrade. Now, this is sort of a nothing burger, but it's also something at the same time. So I didn't want to spend a whole lot of time on it, but it's important to talk about for a couple of reasons. First thing is, uh, sure. Okay. Uh, a one of the rating agencies downgraded the credit. Okay. Whatever. Big deal. Right. I mean, it's just one agency. In this case, it was Fitch, and they moved it from AAA down to AA plus. Okay. Well, that really is not uh, a big deal because the change from AAA to AA plus doesn't really change the capital requirements that the government has. In addition. Everybody that's going to loan money to the government, we're talking about other nations, uh, sovereigns, um, and even you, if you're buying bonds and treasuries, you're loaning money to the government, we already know the situation that's going in. So I don't think it materially changes anything. It doesn't change capital requirements. doesn't really change the interest rates. <laughs> the government, the Fed's just going to print the money to buy their own bonds anyway if they have to. So it doesn't really change it from that perspective. But the reason why I think it's important uh, for us to talk about for a minute is because of why it was downgraded. Why? Now, of course, uh, the debt ceiling debate was part of that, but it's but it's actually much bigger. As a matter of fact, Fitch, who downgraded it, gave us the reason why. They said tax cuts, big big government spending programs, and concerns over the repeated debt ceiling political battles in recent years all undermine America's creditworthiness in the eyes of investors, especially compared to the other countries with perfect credit ratings. Hmm. So tax cuts, big government spending programs, and concerns over repeated debt ceiling battles. So let's just look at those. So I've covered this extensively, uh, big government spending programs. So we know that the government cannot stop spending and not just stop spending. I'm talking like, uh, like a drunken sailor. So um, leading up to the pandemic in 2019, well, let's just go back. Throughout history, when the governments need to spend more money, they do. So for example, World War I, World War II, the U.S. needs to spend, uh, a lot of money, so they, they take on a lot of debt. Go back hundreds of years before we even had a fiat money system. Um, if a king wanted to go to war, he would have to borrow money from the rich guys because gold was money at the time. They couldn't just print it. And so the king would have to borrow money to go to war, right? And so same thing today. Um, the government needs to borrow money. Um, they, they issue treasuries. And so we see massive spending by the government during those times of war. But after the war is over, the spending goes back down to normal. I broke this down on a radio show a week or two ago, talking about how this government spending, the, uh, this deficit spending is actually inflationary. But the reason why it's important to understand is that in this instance, we went into a war. It was the pandemic, a war against the pandemic. And leading up to it, in, at the end of uh, 2019, the U.S. government's budget was about $4.8 trillion dollars. $4.8 Then they spent a lot more to fight the war, the pandemic, send out all the stimmy, et cetera. But after the war was over, they didn't return the spending back to where it was. During the war, they increased the spending to fight the war, send out the stimmy, by about 50%, and that's where it is today. So they jumped from $4.8 to about $6.5 trillion in spending, about a 50% increase, and kept it there. And that was part of what this debate was about, was, hey, we need to bring spending back down to normal. And the Biden administration is like, no, we will never go back to normal. This is the new normal. We will not cut it. And so that's a big problem. And so here we have big government spending programs. 
Um, that's the problem. The U.S. Uh, Treasury and the Congressional Budget Office put out a report in 2021 and called it titled The Unsustainable Path. So we know that this is not sustainable. We know that there is no way to come out of this. This ends badly. So everyone sees that. Fitch sees it. The world sees it. And that's why they downgraded it. Um, they also cited um, the political battles. And they also cited a breakdown in society. It's not good. So obviously, as the money continues to lose its value, uh, it gets harder and harder to live. You take on more and more debt. Economic growth slows down. Economic growth slows down. We have to do more social programs, which means we need more economic stimulus. We have more people that are unhappy, not making ends meet and not working, which leads to massive amounts of societal unrest. You see it in the cities. You see it in San Francisco. You see it in Chicago. You see it in Detroit. And that's another one of these things that they cited. That is not a good sign for a nation. Now, like, uh, you know, if they've downgraded the U.S. government, you know things have, have, have gotten pretty bad, right? Again, like I said, it's sort of a nothing burger. But what it does, it reinforces that we know we're on the, the, the same trajectory, the, 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 the direction that we're headed. Now, it's important to understand that, that there's actually a handful of states in the United States that have much higher ratings than the U.S. And of course, some of those would be like, yeah, Texas and Florida. Um, nations that uh, I would just say, by the way, have no state income tax. <laughs> they have no state income tax, and yet they run budgets and they have perfect, uh, much better credit. Um, in addition to the economy, we also saw the jobs report came out. Um, the JOLTS report showed that job openings fell to 9.58 million in June with 1.6 per available worker. That means that each available worker, that means workers who are still actively looking for jobs, have about a job and a half to go consider. It's really low, very, very low. That means that you don't have a lot of options, which means that um, employees can now bargain. They have the upper hand. There's not enough employees to go around for the jobs that are opening, which is great for the workers. It's bad for the businesses, but more importantly, not so bad for the business, it's bad for the customers. Because if the business has to play the, pay the employee more, then they have to charge more for their goods and services. So we saw that happening really big. Um, but we did see some changes with the banks themselves. So as I said, the credit ratings didn't really change the capital requirements, but we did see some regulators change some of the requirements in the banking requirements. Um, so banks that have more than $100 million in assets are seeing about a 16% increase um, in common equity uh, in what they call a tier one capital requirements across the industry. So a little bit of movement on the banking side of things. But one thing that we see is that, that what this problem has really caused, remember the treasury says we're on an unsustainable path. And as the Fed has gone on this war path of raising rates at the fastest rate in history, two things have happened. One, they're trying to make you poor and broke so you don't spend as much money. But they've actually made the government broke. As a matter of fact, and, and then they've made the interest on the debt more expensive than it's ever before. And now for the first time, the U.S. Treasury is spending more money just to cover the interest on the debt than they are on the military. Government spending grew by 15% last month to a total of $646 billion with a deficit of only $228 million. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. i got to take a very quick break. We're going to be back with more news headlines in a second. Don't go away. I'll be right back. Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. 
They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. All right, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. And we are talking about some of the latest breaking news headlines this week in the world of business, finance, and technology. And of course, the technology we always talk about is Bitcoin. That's really what's changing the world. And it is changing the world faster. It's it's like on this accelerating pace. It's like a snowball, like getting bigger and bigger and bigger and gaining steam as it goes downhill. And we really saw it highlighted this week in this article that that kind of blew me away. And you've probably heard me and many other people talk about Bitcoin, not crypto, right? You've heard that before. And what that means is, well, you know, we're not saying that Bitcoin is not a cryptocurrency. Technically, it uses cryptography, right? So yes, it's a cryptocurrency. But what we're trying to say is that when we're talking about Bitcoin, we're just talking about Bitcoin. And when we talk about crypto, we're talking about everything other than Bitcoin. So that's kind of what we're talking about. And the reason why is because Bitcoin is completely different than every other, whatever, there are 25,000 cryptocurrencies. And obviously, there's a ton of differences. But the main core difference that changes everything is what the SEC, Securities Exchange Commission, came out and stated. And so you probably already know, I've been talking about it pretty extensively over the last uh, about a year now, um, how the SEC was going to come out on a warpath and just regulate the heck out of cryptocurrencies. I even went as far as to say that I think that we have probably seen the last cryptocurrency bull run, 
when I say cryptocurrency bull run as a as a, as a as a broad market, sure there will be individual assets that will pump here and there. But as a broad market, I think it's over. But I think that's actually beneficial for Bitcoin. So I think Bitcoin will pump even harder because of that. And the reason why is, as I said, right, the SEC was going to come after these cryptocurrencies so hard, and so they have. Gary Gensler, the head of the SEC, has been filing, um, you know, suit after suit after suit. And really, it hinges on a claim that, again, most of these cryptocurrencies can be classified as securities or financial instruments. <clears throat> and, you know, this goes back to like this uh, Howey test, which was uh, from 1946, and it was about an orange grove, which, of course, how does that apply to cryptocurrency? Um, but it, but it kind of does. And what the SEC is saying through all these claims that cryptos can be securities is they said that none of this that they're talking about applies to Bitcoin, which they said is the world's most decentralized crypto. Now, not only does it have, is, is the most decentralized crypto, it has the market cap of pretty much all the other cryptos combined. And the SEC said that, quote, we believe every crypto asset other than Bitcoin is a security. That's what they told Coinbase before finance litigation. Now, he said, uh, Gary Gensler, the head of the SEC, said, uh, quote, in New York Magazine, quote, for everything other than Bitcoin, you can find a website, you can find a group of entrepreneurs, and these tokens are securities because there's a group in the middle in the public that's anticipating profits on that group. Now, it is worth noting that there was recently um, a ruling by the court on Ripple. So um, X, I'm sorry, Ripple Labs and XRP, the token. And so the court came out with like this double ruling where they said, the token itself, XRP, the token is not a security, but selling it to the institutions was a security. So how does that work? Well, the Howey test in 1946 was actually written about orange groves. So let's, apply, let's think about it in the orange groves. An orange is not a security. It's just an orange. But if I raise investment capital for an orange grove, and then I promise those investors when those oranges grow, I'll give them the oranges, that is the security. The orange itself is not a security, it's just an orange. But the, the transaction is the security. They own a secure, a secure interest in that orange grove backed up by the oranges themselves. So the oranges aren't a security, but the contract to give the investors oranges is. And so the basically the judge said XRP, the token is not a security. It's an orange. But the contract that allowed these investors to get the tokens was. And so everybody rejoiced, ah, XRP is not a security. Of course it's not. Of course it's not. Like that that didn't need to be said. Like it's, it's an orange. But the way they sold it was. And so it's important to understand that. Um, but, you know, we'll continue to see how this plays out. I think it's important to see that Bitcoin itself is not a security. But there's going to be more and more legislation. As a matter of fact, we saw a lot more this week. The House Financial Services Committee approved legislation that would create a, a framework, a regulatory framework for the issuance and trading of digital assets um, at the SEC and the CFTC, which is the Commodity Futures Trading Commission. Now, I'm not a fan of any of this regulation. I wish that the SEC and the CFTC would just shut down in disgrace and go away. I don't think I need any regulatory body to protect me and what I put my money into. If I want to buy lottery tickets or I want to buy, if I want to go to Vegas and put it on 27 red, then I should be allowed to do it. It's my money. I don't need them telling me what I can. Uh, but here we are. Now they're talking about this bill that is uh, basically trying to, like I said, create this framework where they want to have like the certification system um, that shows that a blockchain is sufficiently decentralized. Now, 
What I really hate about this is who's to say what that even is. Now, I personally, I guess I'm a decentralized maxi. Um, I don't think there's such thing as decentralized-ish. It either is or it isn't. In my opinion, what determines it is, well, I think Gary Gensler said it, right? They have websites. They have groups of people that manage it. Um, Bitcoin has no website. There's no group of people. But more importantly, it's because instead of one database, there's many. In order to have many, everybody in the world must be able to run a database. And that, to me, is this big distinction there. And so they want to create this regulatory framework to see if it's sufficiently decentralized. Okay, whatever that is, it's, it's arbitrary. There's another bill that opened up uh, led by... Uh, <laughs> Uh, Elizabeth Warren. Uh, I always I always laugh when I think about her because I want to say it, but I don't. But I'm just going to say it. Uh, I always laughed when Donald Trump would call her Pocahontas. If you don't know what that means, uh, she ran forever on a lie that she was Native American. And so she tried to get like special access because she's from a minority protected group or whatever, Native American. It turns out she's not. And it was all a big lie. Uh, so he'd call her Pocahontas. But anyway, she's on the warpath on an anti-crypto campaign. She reintroduced, because nobody won it the first time, so let's try it again, reintroduced the Digital Asset Anti-Money Laundering Act. And basically, it's a whole bunch of laws to crack down on money laundering and terrorism, because of course, that's real bad. Never mind that fiat, uh, about $2 trillion of fiat was used for that. Never mind that. Uh, never mind that the Obama administration sent like hundreds of millions of dollars in cash over to Iran. Never, never mind any of that. Uh, but it's, it's the digital assets that we have to worry about. And basically, what this bill is trying to do is force... KYC, know your customer rules onto people using uh, people in the cryptocurrency space, such as like wallet providers and crypto miners. So if you're mining Bitcoin or crypto, then you're supposed to know your customer. But how is that possible? It's not possible. If you have your own wallet, you're cussing it yourself, and I transferred to you, then I'm supposed to capture all your information somehow. That's what these things are. Now, what I think is that it shows just technology is advancing faster than the governments can keep up with it. And when they try to put bills in regulating technology like this, it shows how incompetent and how irrelevant the government is. The current form of government that we have today was designed for the world that we lived in 100 years ago when we had mass manufacturing and mass management. But that world no longer exists. And so the form of government that we have today is no longer compatible with the world that we're in. And the more they try to enforce old world regulations onto the new information world, again, they look irrelevant and they look incompetent. Now, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. Of course, we're talking about the decentralized revolution. We're running through some of the latest breaking news headlines this week. I got a whole lot more to cover when I come back, but I got to take a quick break. You don't want to miss it though. I'll be right back. Don't go away. You don't want to miss it. Be right back. Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. 
I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back. If you just tuned in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. We're always talking about the intersection of politics, finance, and technology. Of course, that technology is Bitcoin, the technology that's changing the world more than you even know. But don't worry, if you tune in each, each and every week, I'm going to make sure that you understand that. But I like to look at the intersection of those three things so we can have better context of what's happening in the world. And the three of those things converged onto this next topic that I want to talk about because, yes, it covers Bitcoin or really crypto tech. And yes, it covers politics. And yes, it covers finance. And what am I talking about? I'm talking about every single day waking up and seeing another new headline that shows the two-tiered system that we have for criminals, for, for prosecuting criminals. If it hasn't become apparent to you yet, then I just, I guess there's no hope for you. But we can see the judicial system has been weaponized against political opponents, and the two-tier system is more apparent than ever. And you don't have to look far to see this everywhere. One of the things that really finally sent the cryptocurrency markets into its final tailspin, which then brought the ire of every regulator in the world to come and go full scale against it, was the collapse of FTX. FTX was, of course, founded by Sam Bankman-Fried, SBF. I've covered this extensively. Go back in the archives on the podcast. Just search The Mark Ma Show on your favorite podcast player to go back and understand who SBF was and FTX, et cetera. I did some sort of investigative uh, journalism on my main YouTube channel, Mark Moss, where I really went deep into who he was and his family, et cetera, if you want to understand that. But one of the things that he did, very, very fishy, was that FTX opened right when the Biden administration announced he was going to run for president. Now, maybe that was just coincidental. Probably was. But Sam Bankman-Fried and FTX stole tens of billions of dollars and became the largest donor for the Democratic Party. He was the second largest donor for the Biden administration. So uh, they got involved with uh, money from Ukraine. I mean, there's a lot of dirty ties. Again, go back to my main YouTube channel, search uh, Mark Moss SBF if you want to find out about all that, all the details. But one of the things that they did, as I said, is started up this right at the time when Biden was running and started just funneling tens and tens and tens of millions of dollars, I think up to $90 million to the Democrat Party. 
Now, this is a big deal for a lot of reasons, one of which it violates all kinds of campaign finance laws that we have. Two, when you do this right before a bankruptcy happens, the bankruptcy court will usually go and claw back those funds. Oh, you made a transfer right before you've been bankrupt. We're going to go back and take that back from the person. That's the way it works. Well, he had all kinds of charges against him for campaign violence, as he should. There should be lots of them. But mysteriously this week, we saw federal prosecutors have now decided to drop the campaign finance violation charges against against them. They came up with some stupid story about, oh, the Bahamas court, um, you know, extradition, something like that, as if the U.S. is beholden to the Bahamas. I don't think that's the way it works. As a matter of fact, I believe almost every nation on earth has an extradition treaty with the United States. That's not the way it works. On top of that, we had uh, a federal judge, Judge Lewis Kaplan, placed a gag order on SBF, um, so he won't be talking about it. Uh, but all of these charges were dropped. Now, he was charged with um, using straw donors that allowed him to evade contribution limits on individual donations to candidates. All right. He already he, he donated the money. We know this. All right. But he somehow didn't have to face any problems. Now, let me let me talk about why this is a two tiered system. Let me let me give you an example. So maybe some of you guys have heard of Dinesh D'Souza. Now, Dinesh D'Souza is a filmmaker. He makes a bunch of uh, documentaries and things like that. He did one, uh, I forget the name, 2000 Mules or something like that, where he kind of showed like all the election fraud that was happening. But he did one. I think he did two on Obama. And um, he basically did this documentary on Obama where he went and showed who his dad was in Kenya and who his mom was and growing up in Hawaii and how he was sent at a young age to go live in Chicago and who he lived with in Chicago, who ran the Red Star, which was a communist newspaper. And his rise shows the whole thing. If you want to know who Obama is, uh, go watch um, this, this documentary by Dinesh D'Souza. Well, it doesn't turn out that Obama and his handlers liked that. They didn't want to be exposed like that, that Obama, you know, didn't come from the U.S. I'm not going to go into all the conspiracies. You can go watch that yourself. But it turns out that the establishment that put Obama in power didn't like that too much. And so Dinesh D'Souza became enemy number one. And so they went after him and they put him in prison. What did they put him in prison for? Uh, campaign finance violations. Oh, like Sam Bankman-Fried just got let off of. So let's, let's see. So Sam Bankman-Fried gave like $90 million dollars. And got let off. But Dinesh D'Souza, oh no, he attempted to illegally contribute over $10,000 to a Senate campaign, willfully undermining the integrity of the campaign finance process is what it says here. This was September 23rd, 2014. I'm reading the charge I'm here. So he was sentenced in a Manhattan federal court to five years of probation for campaign finance fraud for attempting to illegally contribute contribute over $10,000. What he did is he gave $10,000, $5,000 for himself, $5,000 for his wife, and then some people that worked for him also contributed, and then he reimbursed them. We're talking a total of $20,000, a total. But because he didn't, didn't document it properly and because he reimbursed them, that's what they called straw donors. And because he used these straw donors for a total gross sum of $10,000 or $20,000 collectively, then he got sentenced to five years. But 
Sam Bankman-Fried was a charged was also charged with straw donors, but this time 90 million. And of course, to Democrat candidates and not Republican. And he just got his charges dropped. Anyway, enough time on that. You understand uh, what's going on. Big, big, big deal there. Some other big deals that we saw going back to sort of the um, the uh, combination of politics, finance, and technology is more Elizabeth Warren, more Pocahontas. Uh, Elizabeth Warren and Graham put a new bill together to now reign in big tech because they hate technology as much as they hate um, – well, they hate progress. They hate technology. And basically what they want to do is they want to create a new government regulator that would be in charge, a new government czar to control business. Sounds great. Sounds like a fascism. To rein in Meta, Facebook, Apple, Google, Amazon, et cetera, and all these big tech platforms. And they want to create a, a commission um, that would create laws that would tighten the antitrust, that would forbid companies from preferring their own products over their rivals. I mean, that sounds okay. And I guess like that's pretty good. Like um, I used to sell a bunch of products on Amazon. I sold thousands and thousands of products on Amazon. And I know the way it works. Like Amazon sees what are the big sellers and then they create their own copy products of those Amazon brands and they sell them. And they sell them over other products. Sort of like Costco does. Costco has like Kirkland brand, right? And they sell their own products. <sighs> These are like sticky issues a little bit, right? Where... I believe in free markets. And so if I create a giant store, whether it's Costco or a grocery store or an online store, I should be able to sell my own products. And I should be able to determine which of those products get preferred treatment. I mean, I don't understand what the big deal is. Now, unfortunately, it gets murky because then big corporations, like all these big ones I named, then start to use the government they lobby the government to pass laws and regulations that then allow them to build themselves a moat that prevents other people from coming up and competing against them. And so in order for free markets to work, you have to allow for the competition to be there. So it's not free markets. It's not capitalism. It's what we'd call corporatism. And so I'm against corporatism. The problem that I have with this is this is more of the same problem. So by creating this regulatory body, then they can then take control and regulate how these businesses work. So that's more corporatism, governments and corporations working together. And through lots and lots of money spent through lobbying, <laughs> these corporations take over this regulatory body and then control the whole thing, which is a bigger moat and prevents even more competition from coming up and challenging them. So uh, big, big, big moves happening this week. If you just tune in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. Of course, we're always talking about the decentralized revolution. So you can see the direction that we're going. I got a lot more. This is a busy week. I got a lot more to cover. I'm going to take a very short break. I'm going to be right back, though. So don't go away. Uh, I got a lot more to cover. Don't go away. I'll be right back. Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, 
Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back. If you just tuned in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. We've been running through the latest breaking news headlines this week to show you that we are still on the direction. We are still headed to the decentralized revolution. The world is literally changing right before our very eyes from a world of centralization into a world of decentralization, which, in my opinion, sounds like a good thing. Uh, because instead of having these big central entities that control every aspect of our lives, it'll be much more regional, local, and so forth. Now, it's sort of like, when will it happen? Well, it's happening. And these are the signposts that show us this. Um, on some other big news that also maybe fits into this thesis as well, but it really kind of goes back into this bigger ESG narrative that we talked about um, earlier and how they're creating these energy crises. What they're doing through ESG is centralizing control of the energy. And of course, we've known this for a long time was the attack vector. Henry Kissinger framed this up uh, many, many, many decades ago when he said that if you control the food, you control the people. Control the energy, you control a continent. Control the money, you control the world. So they, of course, they want to take over the food, energy, and money. And then by taking those over, then they can control mass amounts of people. That's centralized control. And so these ESG mandates sort of do that by saying you can no longer get decentralized access, democratized access to energy. You can't dig up coal or natural gas or oil out of the ground anymore because anybody could just go do that anywhere in the world, and we can't control that. So you can no longer use those forms of energy. Instead, you can only use the forms of energy that we say that are made in our factories like wind and solar. And it's caused massive problems. We covered that extensively. We talked about what's happening in Germany and what's happening in South Africa. But some big news that I saw this week in the United States shows that things might be turning around. So again, breaking centralization to decentralization. And that is the first U.S. nuclear reactor built from scratch, entered operation in Georgia. Finally, uh, they've been working on this for a long time. It was overdue. Uh, it was supposed to have been um, completed in 2016. It went way over time. It went way over budget, but it's a big deal. It's the first nuclear reactor that has come online, uh, I want to say in like a decade or a couple of decades. I thought I had it here in my notes, but I don't see it. Uh, but this is a really big deal because it shows a shift. You know, for a long time, they've been trying to push towards wind and solar. When I say they, uh, those that control the ESG narrative, and that's really the UN and the investment banks. If you want to know, again, go back and watch that episode where I just broke all that down. But 
This is a big deal because it starts to sort of democratize this power access. A nuclear reactor can now power like an entire town or entire city. In fact, in this case, unit three of plant uh, Vogtil has was completed. Um, again, seven years late, but its full output is 1,100 megawatts, which can power 500,000 homes and businesses. That's a big deal. Um, it's uh, it's now been changed. You know, the, the views of, of nuclear power has been bad uh, were because it's dangerous and it's uh, whatever, mostly because it's dangerous, but it's also carbon-free. Now, I think that's the wrong metric. I think trying to measure the world by carbon output is, is actually uh, ridiculous. I could do a whole episode on that. If you want, let me know. I'll do that. Um, but if you want carbon-free energy, well, then this is the way to do that, right? Um, now, we know that there are many, many more planned to come online. So this is the start of a big trend. And what's important to understand about this is, again, understand the directionality of where we're going. You know, if they want to continue to push um, energy in the United States to be carbon free, this is the way to do it. Not like what Germany did. Germany shut down their working nuclear reactors and then invested into wind and solar. And then they had a low wind year. <laughs> and then the windmills didn't blow. Um, and so this is the way to do it. Um, I think you should replace the energy first before you shut down other, other sources. Now, just for some numbers so you can understand where this is at, um, France derives about 70% of its electricity from nuclear energy. Now, France has cheap energy and lots of it. Germany has very expensive energy and not enough. The differences are that France has 70% of their energy coming from nuclear, and Germany shut all theirs down. So I think this is a big trend. I'm excited for it. Of course, we know other nations in the world, like China, are building nuclear reactors as fast as they possibly can because they understand this. Somehow, just in this developed world, we don't quite understand that. Now, for some other numbers, we know that in the United States, about uh, about 20% of the electricity in the United States comes from nuclear sources. So two out of 10 people in the U.S. get their energy from nuclear. We also know that the U.S. buys about 30% of the world's uranium for nuclear. Where do they get that from? <laughs> turns out they get it from Russia and Kazakhstan. Uh, turns out we're supposed to be sanctioning Russia and we're not supposed to be buying our energy from Russia. So that's pretty interesting. So sanction everything from Russia that we don't need, except for, oh, shoot, we really need uranium. So let's go ahead and keep buying that. Now, why are we in that situation? Well, growing up as a kid, we were in uh, a Cold War with Russia. We had superpowers, three superpowers with nuclear weapons. And we got to a point with Ronald Reagan where it was like mutually assured destruction, where we all have nuclear weapons, we can all kill each other, so let's just not. Sounds like a pretty good idea. Well, then the USSR collapsed, and the United States basically went to Russia and said, hey, we'd like for you to, do, to start denuclearizing. You have way too many nuclear weapons, denuclearize, and what we'll do is we'll buy all that from you for our nuclear reactors. And so we did. And so the United States started subsidizing, started buying all of that. And what happened because of that is that then all the investment capital, entrepreneurs and investment capital in U.S. uranium dried up and went away. As a matter of fact, today, there is like almost no uranium in the United States. I think 270 people in the U.S. work in the uranium industry, which is pretty insane considering the U.S. buys 30% of the world's supply and 20% of people in the U.S. depend on it every day. But we have no 270 people in the, in the United States. It's insane. 
And the bigger problem is that we're completely dependent on Russia and Kazakhstan for it, and at the same time, we're sanctioning them. If they decided not to sell it to the United States anymore, that'd be pretty bad. Two out of 10 people would find themselves without energy. But this is the turn. Uh, we are now starting to develop um, uranium supplies in the United States. We're seeing nuclear reactors coming on. It's a big deal. Some other big deals that I saw this week that I thought were pretty um, important was more bank closures. We talked about this the other day, um, I think last week, talking about uh, one of my good friends, Dr. Joe Mercola, had his bank account shut down. Um, just just like that. And it was like one of those movies where like, hey, we don't just kill you. We're going to kill you uh, and everyone you love and everyone they love. And so they didn't just shut down his bank accounts. They shut down the bank accounts of other people that work for him and their family members. And it just illustrates the the importance of having money that can't be shut off. You see, the banking system that we know today requires permission to join, which is why Russia got their permission revoked. Right, that's what the sanctions were. Kick them out of the financial system, and if it can happen to Russia, it can happen to anybody, like Joe Mercola, uh, like like it did to lots of other people. And we saw the same thing happening this week. More of that, where I saw Patreon, which is a popular service that creators use to get money, um, they got their payment um, access blocked. We also saw this week um, the cannabis industry, um, and and. You know, has major headwinds, including you know not really being able to join the banking system. Even though it's legal in many of the United States, they're not allowed to use banking. And the second largest payment processor, processor Mastercard, basically told all the shops that they can no longer allow U.S. customers to buy legal marijuana in shops using its debit cards. Pretty big deal. Now, again. It highlights the fact of why this old system is dying. You have a centralized system that's set up on rules that require permission. And if you don't do what they say or what they like, then you no longer have permission. Even if you're doing something legally protected, they're selling legal marijuana, but yet MasterCard says you can no longer use our network. So what do they do? Turns out you need like a permissionless system a censorship resistance system. And of course, that's Bitcoin. <laughs> that's where technology comes in to play. If you're just tuning in, you've been listening to The Mark Moss Show, breaking down the latest news headlines in this week, looking at the world of politics, finance, and technology. And that's what we got. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time. Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. 
I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.